0: Posting up the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post. We're going to have a very special episode for you today. It's going to be two parts, uh, first two part episode in the history of the pod. It's a fitting fitting occasion for that because uh, one of the biggest regular season games in a long time is happening Monday night between the Warriors and Spurs out in Oakland. So we're going to try to break it down as in depth as possible. So we're going to talk to uh, Jeff McDonald from the San Antonio Express News, and we're going to talk to ESPN's Ethan Sherwood Strauss. Uh, but first, we're going to talk to Jeff, who has been taunting me for the past couple days. We've set up this podcast about how beautiful the weather is in California. Meanwhile, back here in New York, we have 30 inches of snow and it's miserable. So, Jeff, since you've been taunting me about it for a couple of days, how beautiful is this California sunshine right now?
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's 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 really like bright. Like I don't, it, it's really annoying. There's like just like birds chirping and people out. I'd much rather be buried under. 30 feet of snow I'm
0: sure you would now
1: San francisco needs more snow
0: well that would be something if it was snowing there now it, it, it does san antonio ever get snow at all never right
1: no like once when i was a kid it was a big deal like it snowed one time and everybody got out early, and got to play in it and it was like one time so we don't we don't we don't we don't pick that stuff and we't we Moderately cold, like they shut down all the schools and like drive like forty. Like we just everybody stay home. So I, I get my snow on the sometimes you know like Detroit or something like that. That's where I get my snow fix.
0: Yeah, well, you'd be getting your snow fix here. I think uh, I think there's a few beat guys. I want to say the guys from Utah and the guys from LA are still stuck here from. Uh, their games on Friday. I'm not sure. I'm not sure when they're getting home, but it's it's not going to be anytime soon. Um, but but what we can, Yeah, well, we could keep talking about the snow, but it it's probably better to talk about the game that everyone's really been waiting for since the schedule came out, which is this uh this Spurs Warriors showdown uh in Oakland uh, Monday night first first game between the two teams um this season um. And and really, you know, with the way both teams are playing, you know, it's it's one of the most anticipated regular season games in a long time. So, um, from your standpoint, you know, going into this game, uh, Spurs won't have Tim Duncan, who has who's out with a with a sore knee. Um, you know, just first off, Jeff, what are what are you looking for um, when this game tips off on Monday night? Well,
1: uh, you know. Um... It's kind of it was going to be kind of interesting to see if the Spurs could use that LaMarcus Aldridge, Tim Duncan, to to kind of force the Warriors to stay big more than they're they're used to keep keep that um what are we calling it the small ball lineup of death off the floor for a little bit. But obviously, we're not going to really get to see that because as you mentioned, Mr. Duncan is already as we speak back in San Antonio. I guess he'll watch this on the couch like other Spurs fans. So we don't have that little element to it. But I do I do I am interested to see how how pop how Greg Popovich kind of deals with that um, Warriors small lineup. Does he try to stay big and force them out of it? Does he try to match? Does he do we see more Bobon just to, just for fun? Just to have uh, a six five guy try to guard a seven three guy and then you know, I, I those are the kind of little interesting X's and O's kind of chess match things I'm interested in seeing because the Warriors basically beat teams by playing a brand of basketball that nobody else really does or can, and um, there's not a whole lot of teams as equipped to maybe deal with that uh, than the Spurs. The Spurs can, be, can play big, and they can play small, and not a lot of teams have that kind of versatility. So, Pop has some, 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 you know, some, some options at his—he's at his, at his, uh, got some options, but I, I'm interested to see which of those options he uses, which does he just keep in his pocket for in case they play in June. Which does he not even worry? Or, you know, he not even mess with it at all. So, those are the kind of things I'm looking at.
0: I I know I want to ask you a little bit about uh, Boban Marjanovic towards the end, but um, is there is there a possibility he might start? Given that the the Warriors have Andrew Bogut, and you know they could, you know the the Spurs could start somebody like Boris Diao or um, or David West, but it would seem like with a guy like Bogut on the other side, it might make sense to just start him, right?
1: Like, I've never put anything past pop. That would be like almost a trolley thing he might do is to start Bobon in the biggest game of the year. Um, but I don't, I don't, I wouldn't bet on it as a starter. I think you might see more, more Bobon in this game than maybe one might think, but I don't, I don't think he'll start him. That wouldn't be my guess. At so
0: you're, least. so you're, you would guess David West then?
1: Yeah, that's kind of been their MO who they've been starting in the, in the various games where either, um, Duncan or LaMarcus are out. David West just started the other night in L.A. when LaMarcus was out with his little back spasms or whatever they're calling it. So um, that would be my guess. I think we'll also see a lot of Boris Diaz in a lot of ways. I think Boris might be the, the key to the matchup for the Spurs because of just kind of what I mentioned earlier. He's he's kind of uh, emblematic of their ability to play big or play small. He's a, he's a big, big guy that can play as a small guy or a small guy that can play as a big guy, and that that's kind of something other teams don't always have to throw at Golden State. So in a lot of ways, Boris might be, he might not start, but I expect to see him play a lot of minutes and really be a factor one way or the other.
0: Now, now that is that is one thing that the Spurs have done a really nice job of, as you'd expect. They've given themselves a lot of options. And they, they probably are, you know, they're, if, if Golden State isn't the most versatile team in the league in terms of the different ways they can play, the Spurs probably are with the – the ability, like you said, they had to go big with guys like Duncan and Aldridge and David West. Then they can go small with guys like you know Boris Diaw and play Kawhi Leonard a power forward. Um, when you when you look at this, obviously with Duncan out, we're not going to see one thing that I think we all wanted to see, which was how you know if Golden State went small, how that you know regular starting lineup would look against them. But um, just before you get before we've seen them play, what do you, do you think do you think the Spurs will? Be able to, or are their best shot is to try to is to have success playing big, or do you think that um, just as your gut going into it, do you think that they're going to have to go small, um, you know, with Kawhi at the four and maybe LaMarcus at the five if they are going to try to beat Golden State, say in a playoff series.
1: I think their preference would be to to stay big and punish the Warriors that way. I think basically in a seven, if this ever gets to a seven game series, I think if the Spurs can. Can make the Warriors have to stay big. The Spurs are going to win that series. And so I think that that might be kind of the ultimate end game goal is to get that lineup to a point where, um, you can stay big and just, and the Warriors don't punish you for it. Um, I know the, the, Ma- the, the Spurs played the Mavericks recently and obviously the Mavs don't have the same personnel as the Warriors do, but they, they did try to, the Mavs did try to play this super small lineup that had Charlie Villanueva guarding Marcus Aldridge. And the Spurs just killed it. I mean, they just they just attacked. Um, they just posted up LaMarcus four or five times in a row. He scored like fourteen points in five minutes, and that basically was the ball game. So that that seems to signal to me that's what what their preference is going to be to do at first. If they can't handle if they can't guard um, the Warriors that way. Then they may have to, um, you know, go small. But I think that's that's kind of playing into the Warriors' hands. I think it's it's hard to beat the Warriors at their own game. You have to try to make them play yours.
0: Yeah, I think when you I think. I would agree with that, and I think you saw in the finals, you know, it, Golden State eventually figured it out, but even as limited as the Cavs were without Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, you saw when Go, when the Cavaliers were big and playing LeBron, Tristan Thompson, and Timothy Mozgov along the front line, that was when they were having the most success in the series early on um, when they did control the boards, and, you know, they did kind of beat the, the Warriors up inside, and, you know, obviously – going from Tristan Thompson and, and Timothy Mozgov to Tim Duncan and Lamarcus Aldridge, you you would think that um, you would think the Spurs would have a chance to be able to have success with that. Um, the 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 most fascinating individual matchup in, in this game for me is is Kawhi Leonard and Draymond Green. Not that they're necessarily going to guard each other, but that for both teams they're kind of the the Swiss army knife on both ends that um, Right. You know They can both do a lot of different things at both ends of the court. They're probably the two best defensive players in the league. Um, Finished 1-2 in the voting last year. Probably will finish 1-2 in the voting in some order again this year. Um, but from the Spurs' standpoint, I know in the past, at least from what I can remember, I think Kawhi has often spent a lot of his time guarding Klay Thompson in these games and kind of erasing Klay Thompson, and then the, the Spurs will deal with the other guys from there. Um, do you have a sense, or do you have a, a guess on? You know, we probably won't see it tomorrow. Um, I wouldn't think in this game, but um, do you do you have a sense of of where you know where either you would play Kawhi or where you think he'll he'll most most often be used um, against these guys? You know, most,
1: yeah, you know, most Spurs fans all just assume, oh well, we'll just put Kawhi on Steph, and that'll take care of things. But I don't think. I don't think that we're going to see that. I think, well, in fact, I know that, that Tony Parker is going to start on Steph Curry. It's just uh, it's uh, you know it's not that Tony's some kind of lockdown defender, but it's really just the only way the rest of the matchups seem to make sense. And yeah, I think I think probably Kawhi on Klay Thompson might be your your better option. Just like you said, you take you, you the, the way yeah the way this the, the, this this Warriors team reminds me that in the matchup kind of problems, in terms of the natural problems that, that they can present, is like those um, old seven seconds or less sun teams, where they could go really small. and uh, The Spurs basically dealt with them by uh, by saying, you know, let's make Steve Nash a scorer. If he scores 30, if he scores 40, that's okay, as long as he's not getting everybody else off. And I think, probably, just philosophically, that's probably how they'll at least try to approach tomorrow. Now, Steph starts going for 50, like he's capable of doing, maybe you have to adjust. But uh, as far as that goes, I think taking Klay Thompson out might be kind of your best bet. And you've also got Danny Green there who can handle um, one of those wing guys as well. So if you wanted to almost put, put Kawhi for a while on someone who's not maybe, you're, maybe one of your better warrior scorers and just let him kind of take a breather so he can carry you on offense like we know he's going to have to do. Maybe you can do that. I don't, I don't know. But it's going to be going to be Steph against Parker um, to start off. And if I were, you know, if gambling were legal and I was in a fantasy league, I would probably double down on Steph tomorrow because I think he can, he can, he, he can score. We already know he can score some points, but he can put up a lot of points on Tony Parker, who's having a pretty good defensive year um, for a uh, 33-year-old point guard. But, you know, he's not really a defensive stopper against Steph. So Steph's going to get his points. The question is, can the Spurs figure out a way to limit whatever other guys do uh, enough so that they can they can win the game.
0: Well, that and that to me, like, not to look too far ahead, but if they played in a series, to me, if I, you know, Greg Popovich is obviously way smarter than me about basketball, but I, I would put Kawhi and Draymond Green because I, I really think that the way Golden State plays, everything kind of, for as great as Steph Curry is, and he was a deserving MVP of the league last year, to me, all of the stuff that makes them unique is what Draymond does. Whether it's being able to guard centers at six, seven on defense, um, and more importantly for their offense, bringing the ball up a lot when he grabs a rebound, and just acting yeah. like their point guard. And if if you could if you could have Kawhi kind of maybe not neutralize that, but but kind of take him out of that role, I think you know I think it's I think that's an intriguing analogy you make to those Suns teams and. You know the Spurs always did have, you know they ha- they always had that team's number. Um, I think the Suns finally got them late, um, late in that run. But you know for the longest time, you know every year they would they that you know those D'Antoni, Steve Nash Suns would run up against the Spurs in the playoffs, and you know through one reason or another just wouldn't wouldn't get it done. And you know there are a lot of Suns guys. You know, associated with this team. I think Steve Steve Nash is actually on the the staff in some kind of capacity. Steve Kerr is obviously the coach. Um, you know, so I, I I do I do kind of think that that might be the way to attack them is to have is to have Steph you know let him get his and then worry about everybody else. But you mentioned you mentioned Tony. Yeah, if you pa- could, no, could short
1: circuit, if you could short circuit, sorry, if you could short circuit like the Draymond Green aspect of the Warriors' offense, I think that would go a long way towards. Um, Slowing the Warriors down enough to outscore them—I'll
0: put it that way. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Now, you mentioned you mentioned Tony Parker, and um, when we were hanging out in Las Vegas at summer league, I remember we had a we had a pretty long conversation about Tony Parker. You know, it was right after LaMarcus signed, and you know, I remember you were saying that you you didn't want you weren't trying to be too pessimistic, but um, about what the team did because obviously getting LaMarcus was a huge gift for the Spurs. Um, A team that's never really made a huge splash like that in free agency before. But, you know, you were saying, you know, if Tony Parker isn't right, like he wasn't right last year, um, this isn't going to matter. You know, and and Tony didn't look good in Eurobasket after that. Uh, It was a huge question coming into the season how good he was going to be. And, you know, he's been terrific this season, Um, even though his numbers aren't great because his minutes are are lower than they've ever been. Um, He's been outstanding. I think, and, and it's gotten been way better than last year. So um, from your standpoint, was it was it simply a matter of Tony getting healthy and that he wasn't healthy last year? Or have they have they done some different things with him that have allowed him to kind of, you know, get back closer to where he was a couple of years ago? And he was, you know, arguably the best player on the team in the finals.
1: Yeah, he got healthy, and uh, you know, he, last last year he was out, he, he tweaked a hamstring in December last year in a, in a win at Memphis, and it just never got right, he'd be right for a week or two and then he'd tweak it again, or he'd be right for a week or two, he could, ne- he could never really put the pedal to the metal, so to speak, and really, really max out, um, you know, his speed and quickness, and, and he never really had confidence, and kind of lost confidence in his legs, which is tough on your point guard. And they said that you know he's saying that all long all year that he didn't really feel right, or, and, and but but he just he just kind of well maybe it was hard to tell. Well, is he injured or just old? Like, is this just what the end looks like? And then he goes to Eurobasket as you mentioned, and um, the numbers weren't very good, and I think that really was a concern coming into training camp. Like, is, is, is Tony Parker just is he not going to be able to get it done? Is he, is he you know thirty three year old point guard generally? At some point there, you start to fall off the table, especially if you're a guy who's always who's always kind of relied on speed and quickness. So I think that was a real concern coming the season. He looked great. He looked great. I don't know. I don't. It, part of it was just having that time to let that hamstring heal. Um, they have them. They they just they've managed him a little bit better as far as um, maintenance on his on that hamstring. He kind of he's basically kind of learned through last season that he's not a 20 year old guy anymore. He's got to come in earlier. He's got to get stretched out more. He. Um, actually kind of um, consulted with Steve Nash over the offseason about how, how Nash kind of worked on his body as he got into the to, to mid to late 30s. Um, so he's kind of done the same kind of, some, same kind of thing that Tim Duncan did when he got to be 32, 33, starting to drop the weight and, and watch what he eats and, and just pay a lot more attention to his body. So I think all those together have kind of made, uh, you know, given him a little more, Kept in his step this year, so to speak. But I also think you be—you're all—you're one when you're 33. You're just one wrong move, one one tweak away from being back on the injured list, and that would be something that would be really hard for the Spurs to um, beat the Spurs without him on the floor. And he doesn't have to be the MVP candidate guy from two, two three, four years ago. Um, but he's got to be able to hit some of those shots when you need him, get to the rim when you need him, when he's when he's when he's right and getting into the paint. Even when he's not scoring or, or getting credit for the assists, he just scrambles the defense so much that so that's really the engine of their offense. Still, even though they've got Kawhi, they've got LaMarcus, the, the Parker's penetration is really kind of the engine that gets everything that, that gets everything moving, gets the matchups that you want, and all that stuff. So they're a better team with him in there, and it's kind of a knock-on wood situation for him right now as far as can he stay healthy because he's made it halfway through the season, but there's another half to go.
0: Yeah, no, totally, and, and 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 I totally agree with your assessment too on them. Um, and do you so do you still think that you know obviously barring you know not counting injury like a significant injury to somebody like Kawhi Leonard or somebody or LaMarcus um, who's younger and and more in his prime, um, do you do you still think that that's kind of the 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 Parker situation is still kind of the lingering thing hanging over this team as for as unbelievable as they've been now coming into this game with thirteen wins in a row. Um, not that not that he's playing bad now, though, but just like you said, kind of just you know waiting to see if the other shoe is going to drop with this hamstring injury. Which obviously, you know, like you said, when you're dealing with hamstrings, you know, you take a wrong step or two, and all of a sudden you could be out for a month. And if that happens in April or May, you know that could that could really have an impact.
1: Yeah, that's always kind of the risk when some of your your players are older, you know, in their 30s. It's not just the drop-off from from um, production-wise, it's that they're always one wrong move away from being on the shelf for a while. And I put Tony in that category, and, of course, you know, they've got Mono Ginobili who's probably still their most important bench player, even at age 506 or whatever he is. And, um, <laughs> you know, and then, of course, Duncan is, is you know, the oldest guy in the league, basically. And, um, you know, he, even though Duncan hasn't put up the huge... Or even the moderate numbers that we've been used to over the last few years, I mean he's still hugely important just to the structure of their defense. if they lost him for
0: any significant
1: period of time, I have a feeling they wouldn't be the best defense in the league anymore
0: no for sure and and is this do you think this is just kind of a maintenance thing with him with his knee or is this or is this something that that should be that fans around the league should kind of be? Monitoring in terms of if it's really going to impact. Yeah, you a it's a
1: it's a maintenance it's a maintenance thing. But when you're 39 years old and playing in the NBA, I I, I don't know. I've never been a 39 year old NBA player, but <laughs> I just assume you. I just assume you have sore knees all the time. I mean, I'm I'm 38 and I just I get sore knees just like getting out of bed in the morning. So I assume Duncan has. You know, he's probably dealing with a lot of stuff there, just just age related. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll he hasn't he just hasn't looked as spry lately as maybe he did last season earlier. And he's maybe subjective thing or an eye test thing, but he doesn't seem to be moving quite as well as he was, um, you know, earlier this season. So I I really think, you know, I really think there is something, it's not a major injury. I don't think, but I think it's not like, I don't think this is a, a lot of people seem to think this is just a complete rest thing for Duncan that pops being pop and doesn't want to play him in a, you know, in a big game, I think that might be a little of it, but I think it's more that he he could use the day off anyway because his um because he's just not he's just not looking right. I and mean, the Spurs have been off for two days since their last game, so um, it's not like this is a back-to-back scenario. They actually had the extra day off, and if he's still not going to play, uh, they they send him they they basically send him back to San Antonio. He he arrived in San Francisco, and they sent him back to San Antonio yesterday. So. Hey, to me, that says there's a little more there than we're just resting this guy. I'm, I mean, I'm not sitting here saying he's got like structural damage, but I think it's probably a legit sore knee um, that they're that they're looking at now. And he's missed games with it before this year. He had a, well, he had a stretch earlier this year. He missed two straight games with right knee soreness, so it's something that's been bothering him all year. And that's really the right knee is his good knee, like the the one that with the brace on it, the one that that he had surgery on back in the day, the one that's really been his problem. All his career is the left one, so I mean it could just be a matter of he's spent so much time favoring that left knee and relying on that right knee that it's kind of starting to get some wear and tear on it as well. So yeah. that that that's I don't know that I'm just guessing that, but that's
0: sure.
1: a thought that I had.
0: Well, like you said, I mean the 39 year old guy playing in the NBA with all the miles and all the work that Duncan's put in, you know, he's obviously going to have some some soreness. And, and to your point about Popovich, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, people. People like to say stuff like, you know, people like to think that he is just constantly playing games with, you know, sitting guys and, and, you know, keeping guys out of national TV games on purpose and stuff. But he really only does that kind of stuff when it's a back-to-back situation or four games in five nights. I mean, when when they have two days off before a game like this, um, he's, you know, he's like you said, he's, Tim Duncan would have played if he didn't have some kind of an issue with his knee. Um, you know, he didn't send... Four guys home. He just sent Duncan home, and and he's missed time with the knee anyway. Um, now I
1: think they're I think they're really motivated. They want to make sure they get to the playoffs with Tim Duncan in some sort of shape where he can still help you. But I think anytime he's got any any kind of issue, any kind of pain, any kind of stiffness, I think they're going to err on the side of caution and you know well, let's not push him in this one. And could you imagine? could you imagine throwing him out there at age thirty nine? On a sore knee, he's got to—I don't know—chase Draymond around, or so. I mean, who would he? If Bogan wasn't even in the game, if Bogut wasn't in the game, who would he even guard? I mean, he'd be out there on the perimeter running around. That doesn't make sense to throw him out there like that. So I think all those things kind of conspire to keep Tim Duncan out of a game of the year.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And 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 that is kind of the, the the secret question with this team. You know, we talked about it earlier, but it it is kind of, you know, where does Duncan fit? You know, one one thing for me is where does Parker fit if if Curry's going off, like, where do you put him? And the other thing is, you know, can can they make that Duncan Aldridge lineup work, or do they have to go, you know, either to Boris Diaw or, or someone else to chase Draymond around? And that, that kind of brings me around to LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, you know, mentioned earlier, obviously, he's a huge signing for the Spurs to get him this summer. Um, you know, predictably, his numbers are down a little bit as he's playing in a different system and with a lot more talent and you know, that's that's just kind of the way the Spurs operate. How has his transition been to San Antonio, um, in terms of getting used to the system and, and fitting in with everybody there and um and and what has it been like for you to kind of see see that integration up close um, through these first couple months of the season?
1: The the thing that surprised me is he seems perfectly you know, you heard you heard things about him in Portland and you never know what's True and what's not, but the reputation he had in Portland was he, he didn't like playing second fiddle to Damian Willard, and he, he kind of had a you know, he, he was a guy that, that looked at his stats and he was proud of his all star accomplishments, and he wanted to be um, he wanted to shine, so to speak. And the part of the reason that he's no longer in Portland is he kind of felt underappreciated there, underused there, whatever you want to call it. So the fact that he would come to San Antonio. And, and say the other night, like he did in, in Phoenix, that, hey, this is Kawhi's team. I'm cool with that. My job is to, you know, make things easier on him. Um, that was kind of a startling admission if you take it at face value. And to me, that's a sign that he's made that at least mental transition into the Spurs way, um, pretty, pretty quickly. Cause this is a team where, um, it gets cliche, but they really don't care who scores. One night Tony Parker going for thirty one. The next night Tony might have four points. You know, Tim Duncan's had two games. Tim Duncan, the greatest, one of the greatest players in the history, has had a couple games this year. We hadn't even scored a basket, and that's fine. Whatever. You know, and then some some nights it's, um, you know, it's the bench and it's Ginobili and Boris Diaw having a twenty point night every now and then. Um, and Lamarcus getting used to that has been kind of the one, the one thing I think. Um, uh, it Has been interesting to me, and because he, he's he's had those nights where he's looked like the Portland version of Aldridge, where he's scoring 20, 23 points. He's had a couple nights where he could have gotten to thirty if the Spurs weren't blowing people out, and and he was off the floor in the fourth quarter. So he's had some of those nights that we're used to seeing from him, and then he's had he's had um, he's had more single-digit scoring nights this year probably than at any point in his career. And and if he's cool with that, and he says he is, um, you know, that's kind of an interesting changed to me i don't know if people that knew him in portland really w- would believe it or buy it but that's what he's saying and that's really how he's behaving too he doesn't he doesn't look like a malcontent or anything like that because he's not getting his numbers and a lot of that is i think 38 and 6 you know 38 and six record makes everything happy for everybody
0: sure so, does right
1: that's where he is and as far as sitting on the court uh, you know in the system they're shooting a lot more mid-range than they used to they're, they're doing a lot more post-ups uh, than they have since, you know, basically the heyday of the Duncan four-down era. You know, so really it's that's the other thing that's been interesting is the rest of the world has gone to small ball and three-point shooting and, um, you know, you have the extreme of the Rockets where they're basically not going to take any shot. That's not a layup or a three-pointer. Um, the Spurs have kind of gone the other way with it and said, okay, well, we're just going to get all the great mid-range shooters in the league and we're going to just beat you from 12 feet, beat you from... 18 feet, and and we're going to go post up with Marcus a bunch of times. and We're going to post up our three man Kawhi a bunch of times, and and we'll post up Duncan, and we'll post up David West, uh, post up Borussia. I've seen more Boris all post ups this year than probably I've ever seen in my life, and they're 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 basically they're basically doing something that's counter to what the rest of the league would do. It's almost like uh, yeah, it's like they figured out this. And a lot of it is. Uh, because the offenses have gone to three-point shooting, and guarding for, the defenses have done that too, and now there's this big hole in the middle of the floor, and the Spurs are filled with Marcus Aldridge and David West, and they're just killing people from there. So I think that has been another interesting thing, is just how the X's and O's have shifted. It's not, it's not quite the offense that won the title a couple of years ago. There's elements of that ball movement and motion, but there's a, there's a lot more posting up and, um, and mid-range shooting than there was. Back, back when uh they beat the heat in, in in 2014.
0: It really has been a fascinating zig while the rest of the league has zagged to to more small ball and and three-point shooting like you said and 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 kind of running around and you know the Spurs you know not only did they go sign Aldridge but they've they have kind of you know turned their offense into something that not most of the league isn't doing in a and in, in typical Spurs fashion they're killing everyone with it. Um now I I want to go back to Lamarcus for a second uh, to the the stuff about him fitting in, um, and and being cool with um, with his points and his role on the team. Uh, everybody who's around the league had heard the same stuff, me included, um, about how he was in Portland. And I, I was curious. Um, do you think that if Lamarcus had insisted on that being the case, still with the with the the Spurs where he needed to have Touches and he needed to be the guy Do you think he would have ended up With the Spurs? Do you think they would have Bent to that if he demanded It or do you think that You know when he has those meetings with Greg Popovich And you know he, They go to lunch and they're walking around LA Do you think a lot of that is is Popovich telling him look if you come To San Antonio you know You're obviously going to be a, a focal point But it's not going to be like it was and here's why
1: I, I think he had to come. He had to, this this summer when Marcus Alders was deciding where he wanted to spend the next four years of his career. He had to decide what he wanted to be. And if he wanted to, if he wanted to be the go-to guy that's going to get twenty shots a game, and he's going to, you know, basically average what he wants, he, he he could have stayed in Portland. He could have gone to Phoenix. Uh, he could have picked picked other options. if that's what he decided he wanted to be. If he decided he wanted to, if he what what it sounds to me like, and what I think is what the way this went down is, you know, he, get he, he decides he wants to be a champion. He wants to be a guy that plays for championships and you know, he's 30, you know, he's 30 years old. He's done. He's been there, done that being the go-to guy scoring 20 points a game on good playoff teams. He wants to, he wants to play on a team that has a legit shot and winning a title. I think the Spurs kind of were able to sell him on, on, well, we, you know, that's our pedigree and that's, you know, you can win a title here. And a lot of people say it. A lot of people, you know, a lot of uh, just a lot of people made a big deal about David West. You know, this offseason, giving up money, 11 million dollars to join the Spurs at league minimum, and, and that's a guy putting his money where his mouth is. A lot of guys say they want to chase a title, and then they go and sign with, you know, the <laughs> the, the Lakers or the you know some team that does that can pay him and 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 doesn't um, have championship aspirations. So so West did that. Uh, monetarily, and I think Lamarcus kind of, he had to make a sacrifice too to come to the Spurs. He sacrificed basically being the the man every single night to join a team that would give him a chance to, to win a championship. You know, you don't feel bad for him, uh, you know, because he's got the $84 million. You know, that's, that's a different kind of sacrifice, but it, we, he did have to sacrifice some prestige, I think, to come here. He might not make the All Star team this year. He might, he might not, but he's not, it's not a lot. He had to give that up. In order to come chase a championship. So he kind of put his, maybe not his money where his mouth is, but he put his stats where his mouth is. And I, I I I think that's something he knew coming in. He had to make that decision that he was going to be cool with that. And I think, like I mentioned earlier, I think the fact that they're 38 and 6, it makes it easy, you know, if he could come here and sacrifice that and they're a 500 team or something, I think that's a hard pill to swallow. I think if you make sacrifices and it works out and you're dealing you're with the best records in the league. Um, I think it's an easier, easier pill to swallow, so to speak.
0: Yeah, everyone's always happy when you're winning, right? I mean, like you said, yeah, yeah, guys. Can, everything. Guys can go without scoring or not getting many points. If you're winning, you know, 85 percent of your games, um, you know, it, it makes it makes life pretty easy for everybody. Um, we've gone this like, whole, the,
1: one, the one thing I would say about him, in, the one thing I'd say about him in sure. the locker room, was well, the, the one thing that was the one thing that was interesting to me about him sitting in on the team. I mean, if you're going to fit in on the Spurs team, I've been around this locker room for nine seasons now. They just bust each other's chops left and right. I mean, there's it's kind of that kind of that kind of college frat atmosphere. They're they're always joking with each other. The fact that he's the guy that nicknamed Boris DLT time, I think that to be honest, I really do think that says something about it. He feels comfortable enough to kind of you know give another guy a nickname and 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 um, kind of fit into that sort of Yuck, yuck! Kind of atmosphere. I I really do think that was a good sign that that LaMarcus is the guy handing out nicknames in that locker room now because it, so it tells me he feels comfortable, um, you know, comfortable enough to do that.
0: It's a great point. It's a really great point. And and you are right. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I've been in the Spurs locker room some, not nearly as much as you, of course, but you know, those guys are killing each other all the time, and you know, to see to see LaMarcus kind of fitting in that way, you know, I, I remember you telling me. That he had given Boris that nickname oh, when I saw you last month, and uh, you know it 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 is it is a sign that, that he has kind of fit in personality wise too, which is which is pretty important there. Now we've gone this whole time, we haven't really talked at all about Kawhi Leonard other than a brief mention. Um, what real quick on him? What what has been the thing that surprised you the most this season as he seemed to take yet another leap forward somehow?
1: I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because he's been working on this part of his game forever. But the the fact that he is, I think he's down to number two now, but for a lot of the year, for a lot of the season so far, he's been the number one three point shooter in the league by percentage. Um, this is a guy that came to, you know, when he was drafted, he was shooting 28% in college at the short, shorter college distance. He was, short, he was shooting 28%. And he's gradually made himself into, he had gradually made himself into a decent three point shooter. Like you, you couldn't just leave him open out there, but now he's become a guy uh, that's just deadly from three point range. And I don't think uh, even as much as he worked on it, I don't think any of us him um, being, you know, a guy that that could be in this year. Like it's a, that's been an amazing development. He's hitting, he's not just catching, shooting him. I mean, he's, he's pulling up. He's, he's, he's shooting him off the bounce. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say he's, Steph Curry in that, but he's added that little bit to his game. And and we shouldn't be surprised just as a guy that's been around him for his entire career, watching him up close, he's always adding little pieces and working his butt off um, to add little pieces. So we shouldn't be surprised when something he works on tirelessly starts to pay off, but I didn't expect him to be, um, you know, to make almost half his threes this year. Uh, And that's really been the part of his game that that has really um, just improved leaps and bounds this year.
0: To think that he's the guy that, that basically got locked in a gym for three days with Jim Englund back when he got drafted before the lockout in 2011 and those, you know, the couple of days between the draft and when the lockout was going to start and they, you know, and they got him in there for a couple of days, showed him what to do and said, alright, you know, go go work out for a few months and hopefully we'll see you back here whenever this thing ends. To go from that guy to what he is now is an amazing transformation. Might be of all the amazing things that he's done as a player to this point, even it might be, it might be the most remarkable thing because it is, it is pretty terrifying that he he has that kind of ability now. Because I mean, now you just it it really makes him impossible to uh, to guard at both ends. Do you do you think that um, do you think that he is the MVP of the league so far? The
1: best player in the league. I think you could definitely make that argument, especially when you're talking to a two-way player. I mean, Steph is the best scorer in the league, and, and there's no question about it. And Steph's a pretty, pretty decent defender for his for his size and and all that. But uh, the, the fact that Kawhi can just make a mess of you on both ends of the court, I think you can, you can definitely, you can definitely, you can definitely make that argument. I, I don't. I don't know. It's hard for me to rank, and it's sometimes it's almost like you're too close to it to realize um, where he fits. Like, is he better than LeBron now? I mean, that's a weird thing for me to say, or to even consider. Um, is he a better player than Kevin Durant? I that's just those words don't always. It doesn't doesn't sound right coming out of your mouth, but uh, but you can definitely make the case. I mean, there's a case to be made there, and that, and I, you know I expected him to have a good season to have him to. to to build on what he's done in the past. I'm shocked that we're sitting here right now going, um, you know, he's probably number two on everybody's uh, MVP ballot. I never, I'd never dreamed he would be where he would get to the point where, Oh yeah, that guy, if Steph, if Steph Curry didn't exist, that guy would be the MVP of the league. I never would have dreamed that in a million years. I think he's surpassed a lot of people's expectations. I mean, there were, there were people arguing last year and they were idiots, but they were arguing. Well, I don't know if Kawhi deserves to be a, now, I don't know if he's a max guy. He's not a quote unquote max guy. And I mean, it was a dumb it was a dumb argument, but people are the fact that people actually would say that at this time last year, and then you look at what he's become, it's it's ludicrous. I mean it's just ludicrous.
0: No, he's had a remarkable um he's had a remarkable a remarkable career even to this point, and in a, a remarkable rise. Um speaking of people who surpassed expectations, though, uh real quick before we go, I want you to talk for one minute about, uh, Boban, um, the Boban Marjanovic, seven, three center, uh, has become kind of a, a cult phenomenon this year. And without, you know, I just want to ask you strictly from a basketball standpoint, you know, I remember when the Spurs signed him, it was kind of an afterthought. I think he was the last guy they signed this summer. Um, did they have any idea that he was as skilled as he was? Um, or, or have the, even they been surprised at, you know, the fact that he's been, you know, pretty effective whenever he's gotten into the game.
1: I've been wanting to talk about Boban all day. We should have just done a whole Boban podcast.
0: <laughs>
1: so I'm glad you asked me that. But yeah, I, you know, um, no, I don't think they were. I, I, obviously, they had some some sense of who he was, or so they wouldn't have signed him. But I, I don't think I don't. I don't think you really know how all that translates into the NBA until you get him on an NBA floor and I think he's been somewhat of a surprise in that in that regard I think when they signed him I remember talking to um Adrian Messina on media day it's just he was one guy he had coached against Boban in Europe and some of the uh, I think some of the international games so I remember asking Messina just about him and and Messina was really high on him cuz he's probably better than people think but uh, but Saying that, Messina was like, "Well, yeah, he's you know he's a guy who'll play like five minutes a night. You know, he'll maybe get some run on nights where we're resting Duncan or Aldridge. But he, he wasn't a guy they were expecting to be, you know, a, a strict rotation player. And I think I think we've kind of seen that he can do some things out there. He can do some damage with his size. You know, he's not he's he's most seven three guys are, and guys that are taller than that are like string beans. They're like Sean Bradley." from a new bowl, or something like that. This is a big. He's he's seven three and just big, like just big. big, big. Uh, he's he's got some. So they're kind of figuring out basketball is still a game for tall people because they'll throw him out there against a a guy that's six ten, like, and and he'll just grab rebounds uh, over him and and dunk it back. You know, you can just throw the ball at the rim sometimes, and he'll grab it, and put it in. If you get into trouble, it seems like every time he gets in a game. You see something you've never seen before. I saw him win a, win a jump ball against um, who was it? Oh, Minnesota. Um, Georgie Dean, six eleven. Bojan Riten wins a jump ball against him without jumping. He won a jump ball without jumping. He just swatted the <laughs> ball, uh, the the ball of the guy, and won it. He's dunked without jumping. He got he got that he got that technical the other night for dunking on whoever it was from Dallas. I can't remember. Um, didn't leave the floor to dunk on the guy. So it's like—is he hanging on the rim? Is he? Is his feet on the ground? And that's hell got a technical? Did so they, ever, just, did they ever
0: say what he got the technical for? Seemed like nobody knew. Well, not,
1: yeah, yeah, and he's just—I don't know—and and and, and he just—he just—he's just hilarious to me. Like anytime I get into trouble, like the Spurs win a bunch of games this year with like twenty-five points. And yeah, and you know those are horrible game stories to write there's Impossible. nothing to say.
0: Impossible.
1: So my, so so my, yeah, so my my ammo there has been to let's go find something funny for Robon to say, and and you know he'll we'll write around that. Look, they sent him to the D League for one game this year. This is an honest story. They sent him to the D League for one game. He dunked and broke the rim <laughs> in the D League. And so the next the next game he's up, and I guess they're playing at Philly. He dunks there. So I'm just asking asked Boban about that. And he says, "Well, I guess stronger rims in the NBA." I was like, "That's a great quote!" And now I have, now I have a story to write. So he's great. He's like hilarious. He's just hilarious to me. He's, he's like, like I, I really try not to be laughing at with some of these guys because so a lot of it's easy sometimes when guys have accents and they don't put the words together in the right order in English, and it's easy to get caught laughing at them, which is stupid because they're speaking your language, you're not speaking theirs. You know, I'm 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 a big dummy. I'm not speaking Serbian to him. He's speaking my language, so I try. I but he's act legitimately tries to be like he has. so punch and you can set him up. It's it's really. He's been a fine addition to the locker room as far as uh, the beat writer is concerned. I'll put it that way.
0: Nah, he's been he's been great, and uh, and yeah, he's been he's been a very good player too, which has been you know I, I think at first people were. You know, excited about him because he was this kind of you know foreign guy who was huge, and you know would yeah, play a little bit. It was bit, a carnival
1: but... show at first, right? I and mean, they were they were cheering him preseason before he ever had scored a point, right? And it was a carnival show, and I kind of felt bad for him at first. I was like, this, they're, they're just they're cheering for him like he's like he's no, like he's nothing good. Like he's the the walk on on the end of the bench, right? Um, you know, he gets in the game, and every time he touches it, they want him to shoot it, and and it's. But I think as time has gone on, Spurs fans have realize that he's actually uh, uh he, he's got some skills to him he, he can contribute and i think when you see a lot of the cheering for him now it's, it's it's still because he's 7-3 but it's because like i mentioned earlier this guy's gonna get in the game and probably we're gonna see something we've never seen before on nba four just some little move some little something that hasn't happened before and i think that anticipation is really what people are cheering now not the fact that he's you know, like the, the bearded lady or at the carnival or whatever.
0: Something like this wouldn't last as long as it has if he wasn't producing on the court. If he was just a guy, it it, yeah. would, have, it would have definitely yeah. faded away by now. Um,
1: and look, he dunks a lot. Like, fans love dunks. You know, that's right. part of it. Fans love dunks, and he dunks a lot. That's almost all he does. So I, I see where Boba Mania comes from. Sure. No, totally. They did, a, they did, a, did, did you ever hear? And I've talked to you a little bit about this. Yeah, they did an autograph signing for him. at a, He did an appearance of, like a wing stop. Yeah, you should in tell the story. I,
0: I was tempted to... I was there that day, and I went to Houston for the Cavs-Rockets game I didn't, instead I didn't of going. Go. I, I should have gone, because it was incredible. Yeah. Tell, tell the story quick. I,
1: I didn't... Yeah, I didn't go, but... but, I mean, they actually sent out a press release, you know, you know announcing that Bobon's going to be signing autographs at Wingstop at 7 o'clock on Friday or whatever. They actually had to put in the press release... Um, so all of a sudden you're saying people are gonna get there four hours earlier early for, for Boban autographs. Well yeah, and then they also have to put in there no camping out for spots and lines. So having to tell people do not camp out to get, to meet Boban. That's, that's a rule. No camping out for Boban. And when you <laughs> when you went there and saw the photos, they had no camping signs. it was just um, it was just a mass of people. Some of those photos that look like Times Square and New Year's Eve—it was unbelievable. Like all these
0: just, it was just, unbelievable how many people. Unbelievable
1: there. for a guy that averages the game, you know. And, and they, I've never in appearances all the time. I have never gotten a release that says you can lock up four hours early, but not more than that. I've never seen—I've never seen that in my life. And then, you know, they're not sending Tim Duncan out there to sign autographs. But you know, Patty Mills didn't get that crowd. Boris DL's not getting that crowd. Not even Matt Bonner is getting that crowd. You know, <laughs> that's a, that that was, a, that was that was that was Boba Mania, uh, you know, writ large. That was, no pun intended. That
0: was that was peak Boba. Uh, one final question. Um, as of today, before this game, which team is better? One word answer. One word answer. That was well, that was that was a, that was three words. But sorry, that's okay. I, I,
1: well, Warriors. Warriors. I mean, until I, until you show me otherwise, I'll I'll take the chance at home.
0: There you go. Um, good good answer, uh, Jeff. Thank you very much. I got to get uh, I got to get uh, Ethan Strauss on the line for the second half of this podcast, um, going over Golden State. So, uh, where can people follow you on Twitter and give them uh, give them some stuff of yours to to read on the internet.
1: Okay, well, what is my Twitter handle? I think it's uh, jmcdonald, McDonald, unders- It says messed up underscore S A E N. That's San Antonio Express News. That's my Twitter. My Twitter uh, handle. Um, What's to read? People seem to like this Boris Diaw story I did lately. It, it's basically about uh, Boris is just Mr. Cool, man. The, 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 the story is about basically. Um, oh, just all kinds of stuff. But he's, uh, most of your listeners probably know about Boris and his espresso machine that he's installed in his locker. And so I wrote about that and, and kind of just his personality of not giving a crap about any, any <laughs> you know, anything that doesn't matter, just not sweating anything. He's the most no He's basically James Bond. He doesn't sweat anything. And I mean that in a very positive way. I mean, that's a very rare quality to have in a human being. And, um, you probably wouldn't want like a locker room full of guys with Boris's personality, but one or two always seems to leaven out the locker room a little bit. So that, that's one thing that I've written lately that, um, people seem to like on Twitter. So, so that, that's one thing people could check out.
0: So there you
1: Breath go. I
0: think. It's, a, it's a great story. You should definitely go read it. Um, Jeff did a great job with it. And yeah, Boris Diaw is, you know, one of the, maybe the coolest person in the NBA, which, uh. Oh uh, the world. No, he's the coolest person <laughs> in the world. It's hard to argue. I mean he is he is a remark it's a great story. You should go re- it really captures Boris well and he uh yeah, he's 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 a heck of a character. So um
1: he, he makes that he makes that those makes that guy look just like a little less interesting <laughs> by
0: comparison. <laughs> I can't argue with that. Um all right, Jeff. Thanks a lot for the time man. Enjoy uh enjoy the rest of your time in the California sunshine and enjoy uh enjoy the game. Should be fun. As for you guys, thank you for listening, and be sure to check out the second half of the podcast today with Ethan Sherwood Strauss, which should also be available on iTunes and everywhere else you can get the podcast. So hopefully you both. Thanks.